Tell your story, build your brand. ArtMediaNorthwest.com. A-R-T-M-E-D-I-A-N-W.com. Now enjoy this conversation with Josh McCoskey. Well, Josh, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah. I appreciate you taking the time and telling us about your music and, and uh, all the awesome things you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, we're here with uh, Josh McCoskey from Love Sloth. Love Sloth. And other bands. And other bands. Yeah. Anyways, uh, so when did you start playing guitar, Josh? I was 10. 10. Wow. That was a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it, you've put in many hours on it since then. Yeah. It shows. <laughs> <laughs> what did you listen to at the time? Whatever my parents listened to. So, I mean, my mom was into a lot of things. She liked a lot of like 80s music and 90s stuff. Lots of... Uh, you know, she liked listening to modern pop. You know, Z100 was the local pop station. Then Dad was listening to you know, 60s and 70s rock, some blues. Although he was more into, he seemed to be more into like British blues and stuff like that. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. How many instruments have you dabbled with? I started on piano when I was five and then picked up guitar. And then right around the same time as guitar, I picked up ukulele because they're basically the same thing. Banjo. Drums, bass, You're harmonica. Also a singer too. Sing. Yeah. 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 You killed that. Uh, we did Stairway <laughs> to Heaven, and uh, I, I'm sure Robert Plant would have been like, "Damn." <laughs> oh uh, man. Yeah. It was. That was. That was cool. That was cool. That you, was really cool. Yeah. You nailed it. That's a lot of instruments. Yeah. It's okay. So you could say you're, you're fairly into music, I would say, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I tried to pick up saxophone once. Did you? Yeah. I sold the sax before I could actually get around to learning it very well, though. Okay. So. Was there a stumbling block with that, or you just didn't I'd never in... done a woodwind okay. or any kind of reeded instrument other than a harmonica, which you don't have to have a special... Well, you, do, you have to have kind of an amateur if you want to play cleanly, but not yeah. really. You know? Okay, yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's a, a big difference between like really good harmonica players and people that, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of the just Bob Dylan, <laughs> right? Yeah, style. So you're in the band Love Sloth. What did the process of putting the band together look like? Oh, man. I guess it would have been I was playing in the Angel Boucher Blues Band in Portland about seven or eight years ago. It was like my first regular like paying gig. Okay. You know, yeah. Just doing all these cool shows and. And suddenly being thrust into doing it locally, semi-professionally, <laughs> I guess would be the way to put it. And then uh, I had a bunch of people like, well, why aren't you doing your own thing? And I threw together this band, and we called it August in Blue. And it was that was the name for a long time. And then about three years ago, we had gone through, like I think, like 10 different drummers and like seven different bass players. We weren't even playing a lot of the same genre of music anymore. And everybody's like talking to me about the blues band. And I'm like, well, I mean, we still play blues. I still love blues, but we do so many other genres. Like we should re-identify the band and come up with a new band name. Yeah. And uh, my my buddy Chad, he was, he was just joking, but he said, love sloth. And I'm like, ha, that's it. <laughs> that's the name nice. right there. And uh, it stuck. Everybody liked it. Yeah. And, it's yeah. a... It's a cool, cool, clever name with a cool, clever graphic of the, yeah. Yeah. The logo was made by Kat Ruiz, and then our album cover was drawn by Jason Pedagana, who's done a lot of art for, like, Dark Horse comics and stuff. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. He did it for a very 
cool bro deal. What does your writing process look like for the band? Is it like one person comes up with an idea? Does the whole group write together? Or does it vary? Lots of times it's it's tricky to write as a group because everybody's already got like, usually it starts with one idea that came from one person. Sure. And so lots of times what we end up doing is we've had a couple of like group written tunes, but for the most part it's like I've been the primary songwriter and I try to collab with just bunches of people. Yeah. Like, okay, well, you know, like last night, Nate and I started writing this, uh, what sounded kind of like in like an 80s pop tune of all okay. things. <laughs> um, and that was just it's what we heard. We were out, we grabbed, uh, we grabbed some sandwiches over at Devil's Dill over on Hawthorne and we're sitting there and there's this weird like 80s pop band except they were singing in Russian and we were like, huh? <laughs> and then he had a song idea out of it and we were like, well, well, I guess let's write that when we get back. Here we go. <laughs> and uh, into the basement we went, and next thing you know, we had a verse and a chorus. So. <laughs> cool. What are some other skills you've developed, recording, producing, etc.? I always liked doing recordings, even though I've, I was never really good at them or got trained by anybody to do it. I remember sitting in front of, they used to have these microphones inside of those big CRT monitors on like home computers so that you could like talk over the internet which yeah. was dial up and slow and i figured out that if i use the sound recorder app and i did some like tricky adjusting in the program i could get it to record longer than 60 seconds because that's what it defaulted to and so i started experimenting with taking the the computer monitor and putting it in front of things like my voice or putting it in front of my amplifier and so it was this horrible quality mic and obviously there's nowhere to go but up from there. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Started experimenting with lots of uh, different programs, Audacity, and then I jumped into Reaper, and then from Reaper I learned how to use some other stuff, and then I fell into this cool uh, project that my buddy Ryan was doing, and he was going, we were going to Sherry's uh, restaurants all around town at about 3 o'clock in the morning because it would always be after a gig, and we were all playing like five gigs a night. Or five gigs a week, excuse me. Yeah, and, uh, I was going to say. God, five gigs a That's night. ambitious. That sounds, that's yeah. ambitious. I've yeah. done three in one day before, but yeah. that's, that was tough. I don't think I've ever done more than three in a day. Yeah. So, yeah, I can get that. But, yeah, we so we would go there with acoustics after the gigs, and we'd just record songs, and he was doing it on his iPhone. But the audio quality sucked after a while, like because at the time it was not as good as they are now. And... Uh, I was like, well, I'll just bring out my laptop and we'll throw mics in front of stuff and we'll start recording the audio quality better. And he's like, well, shoot, if we're going to do that, let's make an album out of it. And I'm like, okay, well, I've never done that before, but let's do it. And yeah, we ended up recording an album called The Sherry's 3AM Sessions Late Night Tunes. And it was a big collaboration project with a bunch of people, a bunch of musicians around town who just came out to Sherry's restaurants and we just did all these acoustic songs. Some of them were originals, some of them were covers. And uh, it was, That's that cool. was my first foray into like trying to seriously record something. And then from there, I, I mixed uh, Naomi Tatsuoka's first album in, around town and then decided we were going to, let's do our own album and that was under the name august and blue okay and we managed to pull off an ep and then things in life changed and got hectic and fell off for a while and sure. then a couple of years ago we were like well let's let's make an album for love sloth by then the name had changed and yeah and we did 
awesome. Yeah. yeah. Did the place and time that you grew up have an impact on how you learned? I feel like it did. You know, the internet was gaining momentum in the 90s when I was growing up. And uh, suddenly, even though I'm kind of ashamed to admit it now, being a musician trying to make money and, you know, not being able to very easily, um, you know, I was one of the giant groups of kids that was, you know, using Napster of and course. iMesh yeah. and uh, Morpheus, Kaza, LimeWire, all of those peer-to-peer downloading networks and download tons of music. All the music I could ever get my hands on because I couldn't afford to buy all the albums I wanted. And I did. Yeah. And I, and I, it, it was, it's terrible, but I learned, I learned a bunch of songs that I wouldn't have been able to afford to buy the music to. I so know. it was, it was like a double edged sword because later I was like, oh man, no, this is not cool. But I learned a bunch of music from it, just being able to play uh, and hear things that I, I couldn't buy. Yeah. And then, you know, of course, playing to the radio and throwing the tape in and trying to record off of it and, you know, listening to a bunch of my dad's CDs. And I had a family full of musicians, so my uh, most of them are on my mom's side, but I think pretty much all my uncles on my mom's side play guitar, and uh, my grandpa played guitar and a little bit of piano. Nice. What mentors did you have along the way that come to mind or people that, like, influenced your music? Well, definitely one early on was my... Uh, my guitar teacher, <laughs> you, sir, <laughs> you you helped me get started, you know. Yeah, um, a lot. Well, you really took off, so it was. I couldn't cool stop to playing. So <laughs> when we couldn't afford to keep doing lessons or schedule, I don't even remember what it was at the time, but I didn't want to stop playing. That's for sure. Yeah. So I just started playing like all my spare time. That was what I did. Yeah. All my spare time, my. Uh, my parents had to tell me to go outside and hang out with my friends and put the guitar down. You know, <laughs> that's a different that's what problem. I to do. That you, most students is like the parents are like, you need to practice. And they're like, ah, you know, or whatever. Yeah. 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 There's a big difference in in when you love it and you yeah. really, really grab it onto it. So yep. yeah, it was cool to see you grow uh, from not knowing too much to being able to like. Wow, how'd you do that, Josh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just listened to it and tried to figure it out. Yeah. So many times. <laughs> so what other uh, mentors or influences would you say are, are big in your uh, development as a musician? Uh, well, definitely my, my grandpa who, um, who played guitar. And then when I started, I mean, I didn't really know a whole ton of other musicians until I you know, tried to do college for a little while. <laughs> I was like 19, studying music at PCC. I had some really great teachers. One of them was our music theory teacher, who's actually a local musician, David Burrow. Turned out, like, found out all these years later that he's like, oh, hit me up if you want to hire me for the drums. I'm like, holy crap, that's my old theory teacher. And then, like, <laughs> um, our classical singing teacher, and I feel bad because I can't remember her name, but she was amazing. She made me not afraid to sing in front of people because nice. I was horrified of singing in front of people. And then, yeah, just meeting all of the inspiring and phenomenal musicians around Portland as I finally decided to stop being afraid to go out into the scene and play. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was always an introvert, and then all of a sudden I met all these musicians, and I'm like, well, I better figure out how to talk to them because... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that helps a lot. (laughs) Because they're pretty cool people, and I want to learn from them. (laughs) 
So, I mean, I, I don't know. You could name it. There's so many musicians in Portland. I think last count, according to, like, union statistics, was that even including musicians not in the union, Portland has over 30,000 musicians. Oh, my God. Working. Wow. Musicians. Wow. That's, that's a lot of music. That's a lot of music. So. In your opinion, what are some of the best ways someone can learn the skills that you've cultivated over the years? Well, I would say... You know, if it's something you really like to do, do it as often as you can. I mean, as long as you're still being healthy in other aspects of your life. If you're that into it, then just put in the time, even if it's not practicing, even if it's quote-unquote practicing, you know, um, just play. Yeah. Enough that it all just starts to sink in, because it will if you do it enough. I was practicing in college at least four hours a day. Yeah, I believe. And it was because I just didn't want to do anything else at the time. <laughs> but, you know, and with intent, right? Like, yeah. you got to play with the intent of learning something new. If you play the same three songs over and over for 20 years, you're going to be really good at the same three songs. Yeah. And I, I think that's almost like always being a student of whatever you're mm -hmm. developing, right? So yeah. Continuous just, learning. Wanting to learn something new and then deciding you're going to do it and then not stopping until you have. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a big difference. How should people find their passion or start their creative life if they're not sure kind of what to, what direction to go? Because this is for all arts. It's not just for music, but most of my, my contacts are musicians so far. So Don't be afraid to try new things. Yeah. I think that's it. Like, yeah. When you're first starting out with something, you're not going to know what you like necessarily you might think you know what you like right that moment right but then when you're sitting there restless and you're wondering like oh well like how do i go another step it's like well for example like i've played in i've played in some strange groups over the years you know and some of them were just one-off gigs and mm -hmm. some of them weren't even gigs they were just jamming with people you know um <clears throat> but every time you just hang out and try to learn what the people around you are doing, if it's something you've never done before, that's something that you get to apply to what you're doing in the future. Yeah. In some way, even if it's really small. So mm -hmm. like every genre I've learned has been able to apply to all the other genres I play. Yeah. So. That's that's big. How has technology changed music and the creative arts in general? You can do everything right now. It used to be it was pretty hard to do much in the way of like home recording and stuff like that. Like, you know, it was like you sat down with your instrument and a piece of paper and a pen and you tried to figure out how to write it down. And hopefully someone had taught you how to write some something down musically and make some kind of a chart or something. But, you know, now it's like you have a supercomputer in your pocket um, and, you know, you have computers that can record wherever you go yeah you know and uh and the they keep making them easier and easier to learn how to use yeah <laughs> thank goodness I know. I know. <laughs> if it was that easy 15 years ago it would have been a lot easier now <laughs> <laughs> you know i remember recording on a tape recorder you know but then we had a computer and so i figured out to do that too yeah so it's amazing what you can do with it nowadays yeah. When did music become your business, and how did your job change over the years? I'd say it was probably about when I was playing with Angel Boucher's blues band, and August in Blue, I just started it, and then towards my outro with Angel's band, I, um, I had started trying to book a lot of gigs, um, and getting a lot of gigs through friends and stuff, and 
I was playing at least five days a week, and I had lost my job <laughs> because I had been late too many times for being tired from all the gigs I was playing. And uh, yeah, so embarrassingly enough, but that's what happened. And uh, suddenly all the money I was making was just playing music. And somehow I managed to scrape by doing that for like a year and a half before finally giving in and getting a day job again. Yeah. But at that point, I was like, well, you know, it's really hard to make a living doing nothing but this because the security is terrifying of it, um, insecurity of it. But at the same time, it's like, since then, it's just been like, you know, I could stand to be better at a lot of the business side of the skills. But, you know, I guess that's when it happened is it's like it's just I was playing a lot. And I was like, well, this is a great income supplement. And it's my favorite thing to do. Yeah. And I'm doing it with a bunch of friends. So, like, it can take up a lot of my spare time. And that's that's basically what it became. <laughs> I, I don't know that I ever became a professional in the way some people think. <laughs> well, I think some people <laughs> have slightly unrealistic expectations of yeah. that these days. It's hard, you know. It is hard. It's a lot of hours and a lot of time and a lot of, you know. Paperwork. I, a lot of paperwork, <laughs> yeah. A lot of tax receipts at the end of the year. Yep. And dealing with uh, getting a business license and starting a bank account so that you can get checks for the band and yeah. all that, you know, all the things that you don't necessarily know how to do when you're going into it. There is a lot to it. Uh, what is a song, album, or artist that you would recommend listening to? Just one. Um, <laughs> you can say more. Uh, you know, I got into this really cool uh, funk band a couple years ago called The Main Squeeze. I believe they're based off the East Coast, or maybe it was the Midwest in Chicago or something. They're phenomenal. And uh, they got great songs, but they also do really cool covers. And they that's just a like a new band that's been kind of blowing my mind for a few years. And so, like, next time they're coming through town, I'm going to see them. I saw them at the Doug Fur last year cool. when they came through. And they signed a drumstick and hung out after the show. And so I gave them a copy of the Love Sloth album. And Nice. Ended up friends with the lead singer on Facebook somehow. And so, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. They're, they're cool. They're really cool. And, and they're all phenomenal musicians. Yeah. So I believe. Yeah. <laughs> For you to say that, that's a high uh, endorsement, man. Is creativity or skill more important as an artist? Well, I'd say creativity has gotten me further than skill. So right now I'm going to say creativity, but I also see other people on the other side that just purely out of skill do far better than I do, so I'm not sure if one is better than the other. You know, I guess the best move would almost be a balance between the two. That sounds... And someday I'll try to do that and let you know. <laughs> All right. Just keep up the good work, I think. What are some challenges you've faced as an artist? God, you know, um, being a good self-starter when it comes to doing the booking parts and, you know, the... The stuff that's the office work, so to speak, you know, sending out all the emails, making sure all the papers are organized for the charts if I'm making charts for a gig, you know, actually making the charts for a gig, you know, making sure that I have everybody's blackout dates so that I don't end conflicts because I'm playing in a band full of musicians that are really good. And so that means that they're all really busy sometimes. And, you know, just like, I don't know, the, like I said, the office work. That's uh, figuring out that writer's block is almost not even really a thing as much as it's you can't force art to be made all the time. Sometimes it'll work, 
yeah. but you can't necessarily force it. Lots of times it's just like... You can make something. Yeah, you can time. make something all the time. It's not always going to be brilliant, though. But, but if you really, you know, if you really want to make something, I feel like it's almost better to, like, think about what's going to inspire you to make something and focus on that. And that's where the writer's block just kind of melts away. All of a sudden you've got something to say because you're thinking about something that inspires you. And that's... So finding your inspiration, like whenever you want to create. I like that. How have you learned to overcome adversity when something gets in your way? <laughs> Run it over. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> sometimes. But, uh, you know, try to be, you know, understanding of people uh, in general, trying to uh, not let things get you down, especially when it comes to, like, the drama that happens when you've got a giant group of people that are all playing music in the small town. Yeah. Portland's the smallest big city on the West Coast, right? Yeah. So it's it's <laughs> not that big, not really. You go to Seattle or anywhere in California generally, and you're going to be like, wow, Portland's tiny. And, you know, it leads to, you know, a bunch of people in a tight space, you know, it's Big Brother, everybody's fighting, you know, sometimes. Not everybody's fighting sometimes, but there's always some level of drama and there's always some level of somebody being mad at something for something. And, you know, you just kind of like take a deep breath and realize that we're all people and that kind of adversity is really just, you know, part of life. It would happen any job you have and it's just, it seems like, oh, well, I love music, so it's not really going to happen in this. And it's like, no, it actually, it, it totally it really happens. Does, yeah. It happens everywhere. <laughs> it doesn't go away just because you're doing your passion. Right. <laughs> How important is music to film and video storytelling? Oh, man. Well, I feel like music can such, can so easily set a mood. And so really it's, it's, one of the most subtle ways that they create an atmosphere in a movie um, and TV and, and all kinds of stuff. I mean, working in restaurants a whole bunch in my younger years and uh, realizing that I could actually kind of change the mood in the dining room by changing the music playing behind everybody while they weren't even paying attention to it. <laughs> you could totally do that. You yeah. could, uh, people don't even think about the fact that music can set the mood for any situation. So I'd say that it's it's... It's one of the most overlooked but important parts. Well put. How well does the system work for people, for musicians and creative artists? Everybody learns different, so it might work. So certain things might work better for certain people, for sure. But I think that there's just about something out there for almost anybody now. Uh, maybe they haven't all found it yet, but yeah, it it's pretty amazing. There's something for everybody. How well do schools prepare kids for the real world? Well. They definitely try to work on intercommunication and stuff like that, interpersonal communication and, you know, book learning. But there's certain things I would say, I don't know. I haven't been in school in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what they're doing these days, but, you know, I have nothing but mad respect for teachers yeah. because they have one of the hardest jobs in the world. They have to try to help everybody equally and not everybody learns the same way, including the teachers themselves. I really hope that we manage to get enough funding allotted to schools to continue art in all of its forms, including music, just so that way, you know, because people got to get paid. They're not all just going to volunteer. They don't, they have lives too. They got to, they got to have the help to be able to make it happen. So I really hope that schools can continue to 
just pull in enough of the basic funding to make it continue. And I think that's one of the biggest things that has been holding a lot of schools back from being able to have as much art and funding Mm-hmm. to create that art as as they have it's tricky i found out like my my old high school you know when i was going there it had one of the biggest auto shops in the state it is not an art well i guess it's kind of an art in its own yeah. way working on a car can be really beautiful but the auto shop's closed is what i'd heard i'm like yeah. how yeah that was the, one of the biggest things in the school and it wasn't that long ago i was in high school that was 16 years ago i mean it's a ways but it's not it's not that far right right so like and it was all money yeah all just the money dried up and they couldn't afford to pay for that many teachers to do that much work and the teachers had every reason in the world to want to make a living so you know (laughs) yeah you know you can't you can't ask everybody to do stuff for free it doesn't work they gotta live it's true can you tell us about your current projects and where you'd like to focus your energy over the next few years? Well, gosh, I'm, I'm trying to work with, with more people right now. Uh, Love Sloth is still a thing. Who knows, maybe we're all going to change again, change the band name all over again. But we're definitely going to continue on. And then uh, kind of want to do some long-distance collaboration with my friend Rich because he moved back down to Arizona. But he was the other primary guitar player in Love Sloth yeah. in August and Blue. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try that online collaboration thing. That's cool. You know, Nate and I have been working on this idea with uh, James Sasser about doing something that's kind of along the lines of like a like a early '90s rock band, but like kind of more in the vein of Black Crows. Nate Might sounds very Black Crows when he plays, man. I yeah, totally hear that in his playing. Yeah, I think yeah. Mark Ford is his idol. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He, he likens it to stones, too, which I get. And the know. faces. Yeah, 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 exactly. For sure. Yep. There, that's where the, all of that stuff was really... And yeah. all that came from the blues. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's it's cool it's, seeing those parallels, you know? Yeah. It's just... It's, it's really fun to, you know, if you imagine, like, if you wanted to learn how to play, like, Hendrix, you got to not just study Hendrix, but you got to study who Hendrix studied, yep. right? Yep. You know, and, and, and it just, and then who they studied, like who, who were they listening to? So then you're, you're going back a couple of steps. It's like an ancestry thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're just kinda... you're tracing back the history of it all. Yeah. For sure. That's cool. Um, what are one or two memorable stories from your music career so far? Oh man. I don't know if they're all appropriate. <laughs> um... Fair enough. Oh gosh! Uh, one hands down was I. I got to play with Naomi Tatsuoka. She, I was fortunate enough that she uh, she wanted me to play with her at the Waterfront Blues Festival, and I'd played it before, but not on a main stage. Right. And I'm not discounting the fact that I got to play on the front porch stage a couple times and the workshop stage because they were all incredible and a big blast. And I, I try to volunteer there every year. It's been one of my favorite places to go for a long time. But yeah, she was on American Idol and and so she had all this momentum going and we, you know, got asked by Peter Damon the uh, or Damon who books the Blues Festival, would you like to have a a spot on the main stage on the 4th at like 2 in the afternoon? And of course, who would say no to that? And uh yeah, I I got to say I've never had anything else like playing in front of 12,000 people. Yeah. You know, if you want to if you want to know a rush that is a rush. Yeah. It is and it's and it was cool because like you you do 
you do what you would do in those bars five nights a week, but you do it on a stage like that, and you just see the sea of people, and the song ends, and all of them jump up. Yeah. <laughs> or there's, like, out of 12,000 people, like, a 1,000 of them are just dancing, and you're just yeah. like, holy shit, we're doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and those people are there, like, loving guitar solos and stuff like that. Exactly. Which, which you know, I, I've been background music enough at bars and restaurants where it's like, you know, they would just assume carry on their conversation and wish I'd turn down. And it's just like, uh, come on. Uh, you know, I mean, that's that's its, its own thing, too. It's like I said when I worked in the restaurant business and I could just go and, you know, if there was angry people around, I was like, oh, I better go put it on like a, like a smooth jazz station or something, like chill people out. Some kind know. of feel-good thing. You yeah. can do it, you yeah. know. I mean, you, you set the mood. Yeah, that's, that's so wise. I like it's, that. Uh, it's, it's, it's its own cool thing, you know. I've totally sat, sat in a room. I did a vineyard gig a few months ago where you could tell everybody was kind of uptight, and I started doing some really mellow stuff, but then people stopped listening. And I, so I decided to kind of mess around with them, and I did this, like, acoustic instrumental version of War Pigs by Black Sabbath. <laughs> and it took a while, but then, like, two or three guys came up, in there, and, and this one woman, and they all came up, and they're like, are you doing Black Sabbath at a vineyard? And I'm like, yep. That is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, you don't expect that. You can mess with them and they'd have no idea. As long as it still fits the format, it doesn't matter what what you're playing. (laughs) A friend of mine had me play a Smashing Pumpkins song at his wedding, so that was that is awesome on purpose. Yeah, on (laughs) purpose. That was his favorite band, so despite all the rage, (laughs) it wasn't that one. What are some other books, musicians, artists that you would recommend people check out? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, uh, I haven't read enough books, but I would definitely say Ray Charles had an amazing biography. But I also read that because I had watched the movie Ray, and I was like, man, that's a good movie. I want to read the book. It's really cool tracing back a lot of the old traditional blues guys. I played a lot in like the blues scene in Portland, yeah. even though it's not my one and only genre and everything. I... Uh, I had enough guys, old guys that are that have been playing around long time, tell me, oh, that's not play. If you really want to play the blues, you got to play it like this. You got to study these guys, and I'm like, fine, okay, I'll study those guys, and then I did, and uh, even just the Kings, Albert King, you know, BB King, Freddie King, and going into Albert Collins, and you just start tracing it back and tracing it back and then you're going into like delta blues and mississippi john hurt mississippi, yeah when you when you trace back western music in general it's crazy it kind of all came from there like there was other stuff that influenced it of course you know sure. country music was like a you know it was like a, a combination of like irish folk and stuff like that but even that was when you think of modern music everything past classical generally it's crazy it all ties to classical, but it all kind of came from blues in some way. Yeah. Uh, or, like blues or country. And, yeah. And they they crossed really soon, really sure. fast, too. Yeah, like, yeah. A lot of country um, songs, you follow the blues, you know, chord yeah. progression and everything, too. So. Yeah. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty cool, you know, when you trace it back. I would say if you want to find the roots of just about any genre of music that you like, you could probably go back to the blues and learn where it all came from. So... That's that's definitely one to 
Yeah. Definitely one to Dig dive a little deep deeper. In. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And you can go really deep because, I mean, the, the back to the field haulers and, and yeah. the roots in Africa and uh, yeah. rhythmic stuff and, and uh, mm-hmm. Afro-Cuban, you know, because jazz, obviously, mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah, people were forbidden, you know, slaves were forbidden to have their instruments. So they learned how to play it on Western instruments and that yeah. kind of turned into what yeah what we have now. So it's it's amazing. Chuck Barber. That's a there's a guy that uh anybody in Portland could stand to meet because he's he's a uh, he's like a a bit of a history buff when it comes to studying like where you know African slaves you know like the instruments that they were forbidden to have like right. he actually has a bunch of those cool and knows how to play them yeah and he's a really amazing local percussion player nice um, he's a he's a insane wealth of knowledge yeah there's another guy uh steve dr stephen martin um martin yeah i feel like i've heard that one of my well yeah steve martin but different (laughs) different guy um steve martin actually is a fantastic banjo player and musician too yeah but uh dr steve martin was is a one of the country's first ethnomusicologists and he lived in africa for a while and in indonesia for a while and uh i think he came to Portland State through Harvard. So he, you know, would be talking about this Indonesian thing and this gamelan music and stuff like that. And then he could sit down and just close his eyes and play like a Chopin nocturne on the piano. And you're just like, oh, my God, this guy is so... And then I went to the symphony once and he was giving the lecture before the wow. concert. So he, he really, really knows the roots of that. Dr. I took... Uh, yeah, I took a world music class from him and a jazz history class from him. And wow. just, man, you know, somebody who knew more about how it all started and could tell you who did that and who was where, you know, and who was hanging out with who until 3 o'clock in the morning after the gig, yep. you know, in Portland or in California or in Africa or wherever. <laughs> yeah. Just, just really cool. All right, sorry. No, it's that's awesome. That's awesome, Doctor Stephen Martin. Yeah. And now I have, and now I have some homework. Yeah, yeah. Check him out. I I need to look him up again. See if he's got any lectures online. Cause I, you know, just every second I was just enamored. I I barely took notes because I was just listening and trying to sponge everything. You know. I will totally, I will totally dive into that one because uh, you know I, I like to dive into the roots of stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not always a sponge, but it definitely <laughs> it definitely always makes some impact. <laughs> yeah. How do musicians and creative artists build an audience or a fan base? Connect with the people that you're actually playing to. If I mean, if they're willing to be connected to, right? right. You know, if you're playing in a fancy restaurant or a vineyard, and like a lot of them aren't necessarily going to engage with you directly. At that point, there's not much you can do. But anytime someone engages you because of your music or just in general, just don't be afraid to tell them about it. Okay. You know, because uh, chances are the reason that they came to you in the first place is because they were interested. They're interested. Yeah. yeah. That and makes so, sense. So let them be interested and let them follow you around, even if it does feel kind of strange. Yeah. You know, it it's like, yeah, sometimes. yeah, stalk me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then is there anything like marketing-wise or any anything like that, or do you feel like it's really just kind of in the moment you know, when you're playing live, that that's really where those connections can happen. I'm still figuring all the online marketing stuff yeah. out. I think the biggest thing for me is just to put on a kick-ass performance, right? 
because then that person's going to remember it and then they're going to when they ask you about it then and they decide to follow you around they're going to tell their friends to come with them do you know the word of mouth definitely works you know if you've impressed someone enough and you allow them to to follow you into your next gig they're going to bring friends with them and those friends are going to bring friends with them and their friends are going to bring friends with them and like that's that's kind of the big one i think i mean the marketing stuff is all just you know i mean i need to get back on top of postering because i've been seeing friends that swear up and down that postering works and they'd have better turnouts than i do sometimes so that must help wow I did not know that was still even happening. That's still happening. Wow. Believe it or not, especially in Portland. Um, you know, I can't speak for everywhere, of course. How important do you feel like music and the arts are to society? And do you have any examples? I'd say it's super important in that it allows a common ground between different people of, you know, different classes, races, religions. You know, it allows everybody to feel connected on the same level in something. Oh, that's cool. You know, um, no matter where you're from, chances are, unless you're not into art for some reason and you're a robot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then uh, in, into some form of art, I shouldn't say that. But you know what I mean? Like, chances are there's something artistically that almost anyone can connect to. And it, it allows people who normally wouldn't even come together to come together. And that's, that's a pretty amazing thing. That is. Um, you know, another thing about it is, is that music can be its own kind of therapy, right? Like I know one of the reasons why I liked playing it as much as I did is because when I was a teenager and a kid, I was, I was kind of a depressed kid, you know, like, so being able to play music when I, didn't feel like going outside to hang out with my friends or didn't feel like going to do things kind of kept me sane so you know if it does that for somebody else then I've done my job <laughs> that's good you know art art yeah. is art is a way for people to subconsciously connect to I guess themselves and each other that's on awesome. some level so love that an example from my life is I was in Budapest and uh, in a room full of musicians in a basement, you know, and a lot of people didn't speak very much English, but we all knew how to play like Led Zeppelin songs. And <laughs> I mean, it was like hanging out in my garage when I was a teenager. It was the same, like yeah. a lot of the same songs. It's like, wow, this is, I mean, yeah. I thought I was going to learn all kinds of cool, like Eastern European music and stuff like that. And, and, and I was play playing the same play. stuff I do here. So. It's amazing. You yeah. know, they call songs timeless. Yeah. And they, sometimes they are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter how long or how far away you go. Oh, that's pretty mind-blowing. Yeah. That is so cool. We had a good, like, six-hour jam at the one place, and then I went to a birthday party at another place and yeah. made a goulash, goulash. Uh, oh. over an open flame and uh, broke off hunks of bread and just... That sounds amazing. <laughs> it was so good. The smoke flavor in there and everything oh. was just like... I'm going to camping. What a great, yeah, great uh, time. Somebody Without a lot of money, yeah. you know? Yeah. You didn't have to spend a lot of money to do it, you know. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I need to travel more. <laughs> I want to go places. Music can help. Outside of 
not just Portland, but outside of the U.S. Yeah. I'd like to go do that, too. So that's on my list of big things to do. Cool. I love it. Yeah, Indiegogo helped me a lot because I needed to finish my album and have funding to do the traveling. And I ran out of money before the end, but it was... <laughs> Still. I wouldn't have been able to do it otherwise, you know? Exactly. And, and I, you know, yeah, I'm very grateful. Should musicians and creative artists just go for it or get a stable job and do their art on the side? I think that's up to them. It's definitely a lot more work to just go for it and drop everything else. You know, it's a lot more disheartening when it doesn't work. Right. It's a lot uh, more terrifying when it doesn't work, and sometimes it won't work. Really, going for it means being an entrepreneur. Not everyone is good at being an entrepreneur. I'm not particularly good at being an entrepreneur. <laughs> I just happen to really like playing music and, yeah. and be pretty persistent, but I have a day job now. Yeah. That being said, you know, if you're good at being a self-starter and you've got a lot of hustle and you're really good at being a social butterfly and you can connect with people on that level a lot and you can do all of the things that make a good personal business starter be good at that sort of thing, you probably would do a damn good job at dropping your day job and just going for it. Yeah. You know, if not, you could be a chicken like me <laughs> and get a day job and, and play as often as you can and set some long-term goals and hopefully take some breaks from a day job and and do the fun thing again, but, yeah. you know, there's still a reward to, like, you know, I mean, I'm trying to play as many gigs as I can while still working my day job, which means being home and doing a lot of gigs here at home in Portland. Yeah. But, you know, I want to get the hell out of here. You know, I want to go play other places. And, you know, you can always just come back and you can you can come and go as you please. You've got your whole life ahead of you, right? So If you have the freedom to do you, that, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And technically you always have the freedom, right? You can just choose. If you make enough plans around it and you, you're like, okay, well, if I have this hurdle and this hurdle and this hurdle and this hurdle and this hurdle, figure out a way to solve the hurdles so that you can still do it. Yeah. Even if it's just temporary, like when you got to go to Europe. Yeah. Right? I'm sure that you had a bunch of responsibilities here that you had to figure out how to like handle <laughs> for a minute. Yeah. But you, you did it. Yeah. And you went and it sounds like it was pretty amazing. It was. And now you're back. Right. You know, like I still have a job. can do that. <laughs> yeah, you still have a job. You know, um, you can do both. Yeah. You know, do do both. You know, I wouldn't recommend to anybody to like just drop every relationship and responsibility they have and just go off and join the circus, so to speak. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if that's what you decide to do, that's your choice, too. <laughs> it's all choice. Uh, yeah. It's all choice. And it's all, you know, just, you know. Figuring out what's important to you and, and figuring out a way to make it happen. It's good. I guess. I don't know. How do people figure that out, Josh? Sitting at home, imbibing in probably too many vices and trying to figure out what they're pissed at themselves for. I don't know. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> figuring out what you're pissed at yourself for not doing yet. Okay. I don't know. Could, I, I guess. That could be it. That could be the trigger. You know, to... don't, don't have too many regrets, right? Yeah. Have some fun. Yeah. You know, have fun. I guess that's the thing. Like you're here once, you know, if you've got goals and you still haven't completed them, why? And now I need to go take my own I advice. I know. That's the, hardest, <laughs> that's the hardest thing, isn't it? The same shit I've been hearing from other people for who knows how long. You'd think I would have figured it out by now. It's a work in progress, you know? Yeah. It's, it's the journey. How important is story to music? 
story? Um, you know, there's, I guess you can, you can have beautiful music that has no story whatsoever to it. And then you can have music that's nothing but a story. Like a lot of country music is all stories. But then you have, you have music that, you know, it makes the story just by being played and you hear it and everybody has a different story to it. How can music and art help people and have you seen an impact? Music can evoke emotion. Music can help you, you know, some people, when they're angry, listen to really happy music because they don't want to be angry and they want to be able to get out of that. And so they listen to something that changes that. Some people, when they're angry, listen to angry music so that they can come to terms with their anger so that then they could choose afterwards to feel better, Mm -hmm. you know? So really it's different for different people, you know? Like I know a lot of metalheads that are like... They're not angry, crazy ah, people. They just, like, that's how they, you know, that's how they groove and have fun. Yeah. And uh, and that's how they, uh, you know, for some of them, that's how they stop being angry. Yeah. You know, or, you know, not just anger, that's one emotion. But, you know, like, um, you know, when you listen to something really sad, it can it can take you somewhere. You can close your eyes and you can go to that place and you can examine those feelings and those thoughts. And, but on the other side of it, you know, you could be really sad and you could be like, man, I need to listen to something cheerful just to be out of this right now. And you can do that. And so really, we all pick the music for ourselves. We make our theme music. What are some social issues that people should care more about? There's so many and there's so many different emotions attached to people's differing opinions on political issues, that it makes it really tricky. So I guess really there's things like the golden rule, you know, treat others as you would like to be treated. That's a big one. Tied to music, really just making sure that there's still enough exposure and space and teachers and uh, that younger people can still make the choice whether they want to be artistic. Yeah. You know, like if they haven't been exposed to it or they don't have a space to do it or they haven't been given the tools to do it or they haven't been, you know, exposed to new things that they'd never heard or seen or whatever before, then it's not there for them to to decide to do or check out, you know. So, I mean, I guess the Internet in a lot of ways makes things more available, but it also makes things overwhelming. And so, like, we all have to eventually come back to real life. And uh, there's, unfortunately, I think because of the availability of the Internet, a lot of people have stopped putting priority on having spaces and places and, you know, just exposing new generations to new and old art Yeah. in general. Like, there's a lot of stuff people just don't, they don't know. And that's going to happen naturally anyway. Like, there's not a lot of people that, other than the name, know a damn thing about Beethoven. Right. Because it was a long freaking time ago. It was. <laughs> it's true. But, you know, they still all know for Elise. Da, 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 da. Yeah. You know, when it comes to, to art, I think that the biggest thing is, is just making sure that there's at least the opportunity for it to go further. But, yeah, getting... Keeping art keeping, going. Yeah, the, the resources some, there so that... Because teachers have the tools to be able to share it, and because politics are are tricky, because um, <laughs> yes, they there's are. there's so many polar opposites, and so like that's why I say you know the golden rule is a good move on as far as those go, like because no matter who, 
no matter which side of the fence you're on, I've, I've had enough people in my life that I didn't want to give up, even though I strongly disagreed with their political opinion, that I had to figure out how to come to terms with the fact that, like, part of me was like, when they'd tell me these things, and I'd be like, how could you be so wrong and then realizing that like even if I felt that way it doesn't mean that I wanted to suddenly just shut them out of my life and for a minute I'd been kind of like distancing myself from a bunch of people because I was so upset in the current political climate that I was like I just don't want anything to do with you if you think that that's okay and eventually I was like well that's like half the people I know I can't do that yeah or at least a third of them you know like and I had to figure out how you know, like there's there's definitely a way to keep keep bad mojo at arm's length while still maintaining a relationship and figuring out art and how to connect on that level still applies, you know, like yeah. it's probably it's that common ground. Yeah. It's that common ground yeah. that yeah. even you could have a room full of people that don't get along in any other way, but they're all there to listen to the same band play. Yeah. You know, yeah. because they still all love that band. Mm -hmm. And as long as that's what they're focused on, they're all going to be together doing it. So, you know. I like that. I, th I think that's one of the biggest things that art has a giant importance as far as society goes. And so that's that's a big one. What is it like working with artists and musicians? It's probably about the same as working with not artists and musicians. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first time I've gotten that answer, but I like it. <laughs> it's pretty much the same, except that, like, you know, because I'm uh, I'm an artist slash musician, I get to uh, constantly see new art coming out or being made or hearing about it, at least, and... and uh, that's pretty cool. That part's cool. Yeah, yeah. Super cool. Is there a way that we as artists can work together, help one another, and maintain our creativity and our own vision for our journey? Well, I mean, we certainly want to maintain being able to hold each other accountable as people. But at the same time, don't put each other down, even if it's somebody's making art that isn't your style of art or that you don't think is your flavor. I guess uh, don't allow so much division just because you guys have different types of art or visions i guess that's a big one like to a to a certain degree you know like i've watched and that's the cool thing about the younger generations is that this is happening less and less but i've seen a lot of people that are like in the blues scene that are like oh they're just rockers or metalheads or you know punk rockers or you know or uh oh those jazz guys they're you know up in the clouds whatever you know there's always something and and that's in every genre you know i've heard lots of hip-hop guys that like hate on country and i'm like or vice versa you know right. and like i said it's kind of fading away because younger generations because of the internet are exposed to like every genre sure their whole life and so they just figure out stuff they like in every single genre. Yeah. Which I've always done to a certain degree because I just liked, like, I'd hear a song and I'd like that song. It didn't really matter what kind of music it was. Right. But that's happening to the younger generation. And I would say just people shouldn't be afraid to hear something that they've never heard before. Yeah. And actually let Give themselves listen to it. And then afterwards, you're still not into it. Then you're not into it and you never have to listen to that thing again. But... There's genres of music. I'm not even going to name any because I don't want to sound like I'm like 
picking on any one of them, but there's genres of music that I haven't been able to get into in a general sense, but that I could say, I hear a certain artist that does it in a way that makes me connect to it, and then I could say, okay, I like that genre now, Yeah. even if I don't like all of it, because right. there's somebody out there who's managed to get through to me with it. Yeah. So, you know, don't, don't pigeonhole yourself into a corner and then uh, decide to just stay in that corner because that's where you're at. I think of it in a way like uh, if you're learning how to improvise on the guitar and you give yourself just four notes and you have to be, try to be creative with those four notes. Mm -hmm. and, and so what do you do? You change rhythms, you bend, you slide, you do all kinds of different techniques. And then if you think of how, you know, I don't know a lot of rappers or hip hop artists, but, you know, like Eminem, how he phrases things like he it's pulls insane. and pushes words yeah. and you're just like, it's amazing because it he's not really singing a lot of the mm -hmm. time. But man, is he like evoking with mm -hmm. with with the words and doing cool, interesting rhythms yeah. and stuff like that. And I think any musician could listen to that and go, "Wow, I could learn a lot from that." Yeah. Um, and I think you know, being able to communicate in more effective ways like that could be cool too. Like you're more interesting to to listen to and to talk yeah. to if you're giving a sense of, you know, because there's not just a beat in music. There's You could play ahead of the beat or behind the beat or on the beat. Or drag or the beat or push it. Yeah. Like, and you can move it all around. Yeah. So, Josh, where can people find you online and help support your music in a cool way? Um. Well, you can definitely find us on pretty much all of the main social media platforms. You know, Facebook, Twitter, although I'm not very good at tweeting, so you won't find much there. Instagram. You know, we're on SoundCloud, uh, Reverb Nation. Uh, we have our website, though, which kind of ties it all together. So I'd say check out lovesloth.com. I'm going to continue trying to keep our calendar updated enough that people know what the upcoming shows are, are around. You know, if people want to hear me in their city and they're not here, tell me where the venues are so I can leave. I want to play other places, but... Uh, you know, here we are right now, and check us out online. Yeah, just keep an eye out on our website, I guess. It'd probably be the best way to keep up to date, lovesloth.com. And are there any questions I should have asked you that I didn't? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. That's what everybody says pretty much usually. So. <laughs> All right. Josh, thank you for taking the time yeah. and sharing your story so far with us, and yeah. I look forward to seeing and hearing more of your music, and uh, I wish you great joy and success and keep creating awesome stuff. Thank you. All right, you too. Thank you. Find out more at artmedianorthwest.com. A-R-T-M-E-D-I-A-N-W.com. Mm -hmm.